Well, good morning, everyone. Great to have you here. Thanks for tuning in to Tri-City Church uh, Online. My name's Matt, and uh, it's a pleasure uh, to be here with you. Uh, just before we get into the sermon this morning, I want to make a couple of comments about our, our spring meeting. David told you on June 14th, we're going to have our, our business and vision meeting. And one of the things that we're going to be doing there is affirming our, our first uh, set of elders for Tri-City Church. Uh, this is something that we've been looking forward to for a while. We've been talking about for a little while. And you're going to get more information, but I wanted to let you know who are the, the candidates. Who is it that we are going to be uh, potentially affirming? So there are four guys from the church. Uh, four men, and their names are Carl Neufeld Peters, Phil Thiessen, Jay Spiro, and Ben Gad. Uh, if you don't know their names, you might have recognized their faces if you've been around the church for a while. Uh, these are all men that are serving the church, been a part of the church for a while. It's been a, a great process getting to know them better and coming to the point of, of bringing them forward for affirmation. So the process is going to work like this. On Wednesday, we're going to send out our weekly update. Uh, in there, there'll be a bit of a package uh, with some more explanation about who are elders, what are elders for, uh, how have we got to this point in terms of our, our process as a church, and also uh, some information about each of the elder candidates. Uh, their testimony, a little bit about them. And then next uh, Sunday, we're going to have some short video testimonies from them. Uh, but really, from this point until June 14th, uh, we're calling the church uh, to pray and uh, to seek God's leading for uh, the installation of this leadership. Uh, especially if you're a member of the church, we ask that you would, uh, you would pray, that you would, uh, if you have questions, you can email me, you can email uh, the elder candidates themselves. Uh, but really, this would be a season where we are seeking the leading of God and coming together in unity uh, around the future of our church. So with that in mind, uh, I'd like to pray for us right now, uh, for our time in the Word, and for uh, the, the meeting itself on June 14th and the candidates themselves. So join with me. Uh, Lord God, we are thankful for uh, your word for so many reasons, Lord. Thankful that in a moment we're going to be able to give our attention to it and hear from you again today. But also thankful, Lord, because in it you, you outline for us how it is that the church should be organized, how we should govern ourselves, who should be leading. And uh, so we're thankful, God, for the, all of the insight when it comes to elders. And uh, Lord, I pray for these elder candidates. I pray, God, that this, uh, this final season of discernment would be edifying for them, would be confirming for them. I pray, pray Lord, for us as a church, that if there's any, any reason why one of these men should not be an elder, that it would be clear to us. Uh, Lord, I pray for each one that we would have humble hearts ready to receive from you and ready to be directed uh, by your word and uh, by the leadership that we hope to instill. So I pray now for your blessing on us as we turn our attention to your word and we're thankful, thankful for you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, uh, as I hope you know, if you've been with us, is our last day in Habakkuk or Habakkuk. Um, I'm still getting the pronunciation not quite right. Uh, we've been through not a long book, but uh, a lot of sort of deep waters in terms of some troubling questions about life. And that's really the whole uh, theme of this, of this series. And as we get to these last few verses, just three verses today, uh, verses 17 and 19, uh, what we're going to find is that there has been, uh, though a great depth of, of feeling from uh, Habakkuk in terms of his, his angst, his worry, his turmoil over what God is doing, in the end we find that he finds great joy in the Lord. And in fact, that's really the theme of our sermon for today, because that's what the text is all about, how it is that we can find genuine joy in the midst of the difficulties of life. Now, joy itself, uh, I think for some of us, is easier than others. 
Uh, there tends to be two types of people. Those for whom joy is, is always there. We're always sunny. We always uh, have uh, a smile on our face. We, we easily find joy in the, in the little details of life, but then there are those that struggle with it. Uh, on, on the one side, for example, this week uh, I went to Starbucks for the first time in a long time and Dawn wanted me to get her uh, a drink, uh, but it was a drink she hadn't uh, had before. She, she saw it on someone's Instagram post and she didn't know how to explain it. It had all these weird letters. So she uh, texted me the, the picture of uh, this person's uh, Starbucks coffee cup. I'm going to put it up. We'll put it up there so you can see. And um, the thing that I noticed as I looked at it was that this person who had um, ordered this coffee noticed that the tagline, kind of the comment, which was, just changed my whole life. Now, there wasn't, I don't think, an exclamation point there, if I remember correctly, but the, the tone, I think, with which this person had posted was joyful, was this, this drink, which was like a cold brew, double pump, caramel, weird thing, whatever it was, this just changed their whole life. They're so excited to have uh, experienced this, this new drink from Starbucks. Um, this seems to me like the kind of person who would use uh, a lot of emojis when they're posting, right? A lot of smiley faces, a lot of confetti cannons, uh, because they're always excited. And there are many of us who just find it easy to be excited about life. There's always a reason for joy. Then there's the rest of us. Uh, who are, I think I would say, more reluctantly joyful. Uh, meaning, it's not that we're not happy about stuff, but we're not, we're not easily joyful, and there's a, there's a lot more cynicism there. For example, I, I, don't, I don't easily use the confetti cannon uh, emoji, uh, unless it's ironic. Like, like, hooray, your cat you know, played with a ball of string, I'm glad you posted that confetti cannon, right? But I'm not really feeling uh, the joy as, as much as others. Uh, there are many people like this. One of the, my favorite famous people who is this kind of reluctant, cynical, joyful person is Queen Victoria. Now, Queen Victoria, um, you would not be surprised that she's this kind of person because every portrait looks like this. We're going to put it up there. But the thing I love about Queen Victoria is um, the story that is told of her that one, one day at a party at her palace, I guess, uh, someone tried to tell a funny story and her response was the now famous line, we are not amused which I love that line. I use that all the time with my kids. We are not amused at whatever is going on because there's many of us for whom uh, we're just not easily amused, right? Uh, and you probably know where you fit on the scale of joy. Uh, some of you are easily joyful, some not so much. But did you know, did you know that the Bible, uh, the Bible has a ton in it about joy, in fact, if you do a word search on just the words joy or rejoice, you'll find hundreds and hundreds of verses. But not just verses about joy, exhortations for us to be joyful. And not just joyful when things are going well, but joyful even in the most difficult times of life. In fact, that's exactly what we're going to see in Habakkuk. That he has reason for joy even when, as he says, the worst, the worst thing is going to happen. So that's what we're going to look at today, how we can have this kind of joy, uh, the nature of it, the, the details of it. And so uh, let's not go any further without reading the text, uh, just three verses. This is uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, where he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord." I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. 
So very clearly, an emphasis on joy. And uh, these three verses we're going to work through uh, with three points. The first uh, is something that we all know to be true. And that is that life is often difficult. Uh, We see Habakkuk acknowledging right from the get-go that life is often difficult. In fact, the things that he refers to here are some of the very worst things that could happen in in that day. Uh, The the fruit trees are not blossoming. There's no fruit on the vines. The the crops are failing. The livestock is dying. Uh, Remember, this is an agricultural society, so um, these things are not just food. He's not just saying there's not enough food in our land. Uh, Crops and livestock, this is uh, everyone's livelihood. This is their investment. This is their wealth. Uh, So when he's talking about all these bad things happening, what we should have in our mind is like a total economic collapse, Uh, like the housing market imploding, the stock market just totally falling apart. Uh, In fact, we could have in our mind a lot of what's happening today with just the devastating reality of all of us staying inside, what that means economically for, for so many businesses, for so many people's jobs. The difference, of course, is that back then, uh, they did not have uh, a lifeline. They, they did not have any backup. They didn't have any handouts from the federal government. When, when things went bad back then, they went bad uh, for good, in a sense. And we should actually remember that that's, that's still true in much of the world. Uh, we're thankful for all the government is able to do here, but in much of the world, uh, what's going on now means real, a real devastating reality uh, because there, just, there isn't any, other, any bailout money for people. But, you know, I don't think Habakkuk is just talking about the, the most devastating uh, things that could happen in life. Certainly, that's what he's referencing. But really, the sense that we get here is that, that what he's saying is, regardless of what happens in life, um, life will be difficult and that he will have joy in it. Now, this gets to our reaction to the, the reality that life is difficult. Uh, for many of us, that's, I mean, of course, it's not, it's not news. It's not news that life is difficult. What Habakkuk is saying even to the people then is that that, that wouldn't have been news. The crops sometimes fail. And, and the way that people respond to these difficulties of life um, is on a spectrum. Kind of like I said at the beginning, there are those for whom, you know, they're always looking on the bright side of things and others for whom they're, they're always looking on the, on the dark side of things. They're always cynical. For those people for whom the, the glass is always half full, uh, you know, you, you shrug these kind of things off. Right? You just say, well, there's, this is bad, but over here, this is good. We're always looking for the silver lining. We're always, we're always perhaps giving, paying lip service to the difficulty, but, but really focusing on the good thing in life, even if it's a small thing. And while that is you know, a pleasant person to be around, the, the difficulty of that kind of approach to life is that it does seem like, like a person like that is kind of denying the reality of life. That if we're always looking at the silver lining of things, we're not really uh, acknowledging and coming to terms with the dark clouds that are present uh, in the world. The flip side is someone who is, I'm not going to say pessimistic, but maybe cynical. Uh, It's someone who says, I know that life is difficult. In fact, I don't expect it to be any different. And we even have a law for this. It's called uh, Murphy's Law. You know Murphy's Law, which says if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. Uh, the beauty of, of adopting kind of Murphy's Law as your, as your life motto is that you have a sense of control. Is that you always, uh, you always tend to feel like you know what's going to happen because even when bad things happen, for example, the, the dishwasher breaks and it's a month past uh, the warranty. Uh, your response to that can be, well, Murphy's Law. Meaning, I didn't expect it to be any different. 
Of course, of course it was a month after the warranty ran out. That's, that's just how life is. Uh, it gives us a sense of, of being in the know. That life can't surprise us with any bad thing because we didn't really expect any good thing. Christians actually have a, a version of, of this kind of attitude and we tend to see things like this. Well, you know, God's going to do what God's going to do. Or sometimes we say, well, that's, that's probably just part of my sanctification. And, and the idea here is that as Christians, we're acknowledging, look, we know that God's in charge. We know that he's going to do things for our good, but we don't really expect to enjoy them in the moment. We don't expect to feel any genuine joy or gladness in life. In fact, most of the time we expect that things are going to go bad. And at some point in the future, things will get better. You know, at first, it kind of seems like Habakkuk has that kind of an attitude. Because if you remember from verse 16, where we ended last week, uh, it seemed like that was kind of his disposition towards God. Let's look at it again. Uh, here's verse 16. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Now it's true that there, this is a big shift for Habakkuk. I mean, if we remember the first a couple of chapters, he is, he is upset. He is angry. He is very, very critical and, and doubtful that God is doing anything good. I mean, that's his criticism. God, when are you going to do something good in this world? Look, there's this happening and this happening. And then God tells him his plan. And he says, no, that, that's not a good plan. He's very critical. So there has been a shift where Habakkuk has God from being kind of in despair that God was even at work to trusting his plan. But you'll notice that his sense of faith... Um, it seemed to kind of have a resigned sense of faith. Like he's resigned to the plan of God. He's saying, yes, I know there's a plan. I'm going to wait for it. I'm going to be patient. But it doesn't seem like he's that happy about it. And that's very often, I think, how we as, as Christians seeking to be faithful approach our lives. When difficult things happen, when, when some things happen that that aren't what we expected, aren't what we want, we can't see any good in it, we have this resigned sense of, of yes. I mean, yes, I know that God's there. Yes, I know that God's in charge. Yes, I believe that at some point God is going to, you know, bring good into my life, but it's not now. Now I just, I just experience the hardship and I'm waiting for the future when maybe I can, I can be happy about it. Which is what makes the last two verses of Habakkuk so amazing. Because what he makes very, very clear is that for us to have genuine faith, we can't just be resigned to the plans of God. We need to experience joy in the midst of them. And that's our second point. So first, life is difficult. We know that. But secondly, secondly, Jesus always gives us reason for joy. And you might wonder, why Jesus? How, how could this be about Jesus when we're in the Old Testament? Well, well let me show you. In verse 18, Habakkuk gives us his reason uh, for joy. The reason that in spite of all the difficult, bad things that might happen in the future, he's still confident in his joy. He says, verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So Habakkuk's reasons to have joy, in spite of everything that's going on, is that he knows who God is. God is the God of his salvation, which for Habakkuk meant that, that he knew that God had a pattern of saving his people uh, in their difficulty, rescuing them from trouble, defeating their enemies. And so because of that, because of that, Habakkuk could have joy. For us, 
this side of the New Testament, we have a much fuller, much clearer picture of what it means that God is the God of our salvation. And that clear picture is Jesus. Because Jesus is the fullest expression of God's saving work. His love, his grace, his sacrifice, his depth of feeling for us and his willingness to do everything that it takes to, to save us from ourselves and save us for the peril that we're in because of our sin. See, Jesus is the one who gives us reason for joy at all times. Because in the cross, we have an answer to every, every instance of, of peril or threat or difficulty or hopelessness that we might be in as human beings. I mean, in Jesus, we have an answer to death itself. That, that Jesus rose from the grave after he was crucified and said that whoever had faith in him, we would also likewise be raised from our grave. That's, that's a great hope in the midst of a great peril. In the cross, we see an answer to the shame and guilt and regret that often plagues us. We have an answer to the feeling of, of meaninglessness and worthlessness. We have an answer to those those doubts that, that plague us about us being unlovable or unwanted and all of that, that the cross says, you are greatly loved. We, each of us, are known by God, are loved by God and he has demonstrated his saving work in such an amazingly sacrificial way that there could be no doubt that he loves us, that he has good in store for us. See, if you wanted to have a picture of, of what it means to be in Christ, like if, if you are a Christian or if you're wondering, you know, what does it mean to to live a life of faith, uh, one just real tangible picture would be that of, of putting on uh, like a warm winter coat and then walking out into the bitter cold of some, you know, blizzard that's out there. We don't get a lot of those, but sometimes you get those really cold days. There's joy in, in knowing that we are insulated from the harshness of, of the weather around us. I mean, I love that feeling of just getting all suited up and being able to step out into weather that would, that would really harm me if I was out there for any length of time. And yet because of, because of my covering, because of my coat, I can, I can enjoy the, the reality of being insulated from the sting of the cold. That's, that's kind of what it means to be in Christ. That any, any loss, any sorrow, any grief that we might experience, we are insulated from it. It's not that we don't experience those things, but it's that the, the real sting the real hurt that would, that would perhaps lead us into despair, have a slip over the edge and into hopelessness, we're always held back. We're always uh, protected by the realities of the cross because we know that we have a hope even in the midst of death. We know that we are loved in spite of our sin. Because of Jesus, we do, in fact, always have a reason to rejoice. But the beauty of the cross is is that it goes beyond simply having a reason. See, if you think about what the gospel means, it means that, that even in the experience of hardship, we can have joy. That's really what Habakkuk is talking about. If you look back to, to the verse, what he says uh, in verse you know, 17, though that the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit should be on the vines, even when all of these things happen, He's saying, I will have joy. He's not saying, I'm, I know that one day in the future I will have joy and so it helps me to deal with the, the really difficult times today. He's saying, even in the midst of these difficult times, I will have joy. How can that be? How is it that the gospel brings us joy even in the midst, in the moment of our struggles? And the answer, the answer is that it's because in the hard times of life, 
we actually experience the fullness of God's love and protection and his grace. See, there's, there's many times in our lives when, when we know what it means to enjoy God. We're thankful for God. But when things get really, really tough, uh, that, that understanding of the hope of the cross is tested. And when it proves faithful, there's great joy in it. Uh, if I were to go back to my image that I gave you of, of kind of that warm winter coat, something that came to mind as I was thinking about this, I was reading this really, really interesting article about the U.S. Census, which I know what you're thinking of. It sounds really interesting. It is. Because uh, what it was saying is that when they do the U.S. Census, I think every four, I don't know, five years, I can't remember, uh, but they start up in Alaska. They start in the most remote parts of Alaska. It's kind of the thing they do every time. The census workers go there. They get guides. They travel out to the most remote villages to count all of the people. And one of the things the reporter who was with them said was kind of an offhand comment. She said, as we got ready to gear up and head out into the Alaskan wilderness, all of us were wearing our, our cold weather gear. Some of us were even wearing polar bear skin pants, which were far warmer than any of the other pants that people had on. Now, that polar bear skin pants uh, caught my attention for a couple reasons. Number one, I wondered, do they put the fur in or the fur out? I don't know the answer to that question. But the other thing I thought was interesting is that uh, even the best, you know, winter wear that the people had, like for all of our technical, technological innovation when it comes to like pants, down-filled pants, insulated pants, whatever they are, uh, what everyone knows in Alaska is that if, if you can get a hold of some polar bear skin, then you're going to be really warm. And I thought to myself, you know, you're probably not going to notice the difference of whether you're wearing polar bear skin pants or regular pants until you get into some really, really cold weather. I mean, when you're out there and it's minus 40 or whatever it is and everyone's freezing and you, your legs are toasty because of the polar bear skin, I mean, that's when you experience joy at the wearing of those pants. You wouldn't really know it until you got to that extreme uh, situation. And it's, it's kind of like that with Christ. I mean, we, in the warm and sunny days of our lives, we, we know that we are thankful for Jesus. If you're a Christian and you, you know intellectually and the Spirit of God has opened your eyes to see your sin, you've experienced some measure of joy. We all have who've come to faith and saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you that I have the hope of heaven. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. We know that's true. And yet, and yet we know it much more deeply when we get to a, a situation where there is great turmoil and difficulty and sorrow. Because that's when we're able to experience the real depth of God's love for us. For example, if we're going through a trial where we have been rejected or, or abandoned in some way, and it's just grieving our heart, we have an answer in the gospel that Jesus himself endured not just the rejection of men, but he was forsaken by his father so that he might be able to atone for our sin. There's, there's such joy and such comfort in knowing that that's how much God loves me. And I only truly experience that when I'm in a situation where, where I'm being rejected. In the same way, when we are persecuted, when we're abused, when, we're, when we endure some, some hardship in some way, we can likewise look to Jesus and say, he experienced that in far greater ways than I ever will and than I am right now because he went, he went along the road to the cross enduring physical abuse, emotional abuse because he loves me. Even, even in the moment of death or the threat of death, if we've been diagnosed 
with, with a disease, if, if we know that what's coming, it, it doesn't look good. Even there, we experience a greater measure of, of gladness because, because that's the time when we really have to, to know and believe that we have a hope beyond the grave. I mean, we knew it before, but when we come to the point of, of dealing with the realities of death, then the peace and comfort that comes is so much sweeter. And we only truly know the depth of that sweetness because we're in, we're in the difficult stage of life. See, Jesus, he does give us every reason to be joyful in, in all the times of life, but it's partly through the difficulties, through the trials, that we're able to see the depth of that joy. There's something else that needs to be said, and it kind of leads us into our third point, and that is, it's possible for us to know these reasons. It's even possible for us to partly experience them, and yet, emotionally speaking, we don't really feel the, the gladness, the, the feeling that we would associate with joy. I mean, usually when we think about joy, we, we have a big smile on our face, right? We're, we have balloons, we're, we're laughing, we're, we're happy. Those are, the, those are the moments we associate with, with joy, but that's, that's not the full spectrum of joy. See, see, there is even joy in the midst of our sadness. And, and, and this is important for us to understand because there's a lot of times in life when we're dealing with the struggles of our adversity and, and it's, it's hard for us to feel, to experience that kind of slap, happy joy that, that we tend to think of as, as happy or joyful. There's a friend of mine uh, who's a pastor and um, he struggled with depression for years. And, and he's talked with me a bit about it. Now, this is a man who knows the, the gospel very well. I mean, he loves Jesus. He, he's taught on Jesus for years, preached on Jesus for years, and yet he said there have been many times in his life when he has been just on the brink of despair. I mean, he has, he has felt desperate and, and felt hopeless. All the emotional makeup of his day, day in, day out for weeks, is one where there doesn't feel any joy. He has every reason to be joyful. He, he, he knows all of the answers when it comes to the gospel and yet the experience of it is sorrowful. He, he's, on, he's on the precipice of despair all the time. So what do we do in that situation? How, how do we make it through those times in our lives where, where intellectually we know what Jesus has done for us and yet the experience of it is just not, it seems hard to really grasp and, and to own what Habakkuk here is saying. Well, there's a, third, uh, there's a third insight that Habakkuk gives us in terms of how we can, we can experience joy, live a life of joy in the midst of the difficulties of life. And that's our third point, which is simply that God is our strength. If you look back to verse 19, we see, uh, we see something interesting about what Habakkuk says. He, says. he says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. So you notice the imagery there. The experience that he's describing there is one of real emotional joy. I mean, he's saying literally that he's, his feet are skipping along the high places. What we might say is walking on cloud nine or, or having a mountaintop experience. He's saying that's, that's what he's feeling in that moment or he expects to feel that in, in that moment. But notice he's saying he expects to feel that way because of not his strength, but, but God's strength. You get the sense that he's saying that he's convinced that in those moments of great trial, when he knows the reason he has for his joy, 
He's not going to latch on to his own ability to kind of pull himself up out of the hole. He is trusting that God, God will be his strength. God will lift him up. God, God will raise him to such a point that he's able to walk on the mountaintops. What this means, I think, is that we should not be surprised when our sorrow and our joy is intermingled. That when Habakkuk here is, is describing his joy and this, this sense of being lifted up by God, it, it doesn't mean that that's the only thing he's feeling. It means that he's being lifted up out of his despair, understanding the realities of, of who God is as his savior and yet needing help from God to make it real in his life, to emotionally feel what he has reason to feel. And I think that's how it usually is. The call to rejoice in our suffering doesn't mean that there aren't tears. Of course there's going to be tears. Of course, as Christians, we, we are going to experience just as much difficulty and heartache as those who don't know the Lord, and in fact, sometimes more so. We are going to be genuinely grieved because of the things that happen in our lives. It's not that we shouldn't mourn or that we, we are being unfaithful if we grieve. It's not that when we go through times of, of depression or heartache that we're somehow turning our back on God necessarily. But when we have reason to rejoice, we can lean on the Lord. We can lean into the gospel and, and appeal to him for strength that in his sovereign grace, he might lift us up to better understand the truths of, of what it means to walk with the Lord, to put on Christ. And that even in our sorrow, then we would have joy. I wanted to give you a, a picture of this. Uh, I'm actually going to end with, with this story because I, uh, it's one that I thought really sort of encapsulated this, this wrestle, this challenge for us as Christians of how to, how to experience the trials of life and yet, and yet have joy in the midst of them. Uh, Dawn told me the story uh, of a family. She came across, uh, I think, on the Gospel Coalition. Great website if you want to check it out. And uh, it's a story of a husband and wife, uh, Ryan and Rachel. And they had, uh, for many years, struggled with infertility. Uh, they'd just, you know, been at it in many different ways. They finally got fertility treatments and uh, became pregnant with twins and, and gave birth, uh, Rachel gave birth to a boy and a girl, uh, Linnea and Anders. And Linnea and Anders uh, were, of course, you know, a joy to them. Um, and they were 11 months old uh, when sadly one day Anders, after he was dropped off at childcare, uh, his heart stopped beating. And so Ryan remembers getting the phone call saying, you have to get to the hospital. Uh, the, the, the daycare worker came and saw what was going on, uh, called the paramedics. They were able to get little Anders' heart going, got him in the ambulance, rushed him to the hospital. But then over the next few days, it became very, very clear that, that Anders was not going to make it. That even though they had got his heart going again, he had experienced too much brain damage and that he wasn't going to make it. And so Ryan and... And Rachel uh, went through the agonizing reality of having to lose one of their children. It was a time of great sorrow. It was when the worst thing that they could imagine happened was actually happening. And yet, as they reflected on it later, it was amazing to see the way in which, by God's strength, they were still able to have peace and comfort and even a sense of joy. So I want to read to you just some of Ryan's reflection. He wrote an article kind of telling the story. And uh, listen to what he says about the way in which they experienced God uh, in the midst of this tragedy. So he says this. 
He says, after hearing that our son wasn't going to play with his twin sister again, God drew near to us. Both Rachel and I deeply sensed his loving presence at the same time, at the same place. In the time since Anders died, we've often talked about that moment. Our loving God, the same one who comforts me as I type these words, drew near to us as we cried out to him. He was in the hospital room comforting us as Anders took his last breath. He was there to welcome our baby boy into heaven. And he has been with us as we stood in the empty space where Anders' crib was and the checkout line waiting to buy flowers for his gravesite. God is with us through it all. On the one-year anniversary of his death, Rachel kept her commemorative social media post short but poignant. Along with a picture of Anders and Linnea, she wrote simply this, The worst day of my life was the best day of his. It was that last line that, that I thought just did such a good job of summing up the, the joy that we have as Christians. That on the very worst day, there is still, there is still a goodness in it. That for this little child, that worst day meant that he was there then in heaven with Jesus. That, that all of the pain, all of the difficulties of life were, were wiped away. And for Rachel, she could have gladness in knowing that even in the worst possible moment of her life, there was still hope for her son. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of knowing Jesus as our Savior and Lord is that, that even, even when the worst happens, there is still not just a reason for joy, but there is, the, there is the assurance that the Spirit of God will be with us, that Jesus himself will make, him, he will make himself known to us in such a way that we will be lifted up, we'll be comforted. We will experience the hope and joy of knowing God in perhaps an even deeper way than we had before because of the pain and because of the way that the gospel hope addresses that pain and the hope it brings. Look, this is a difficult time right now. Even before COVID, all of us had, I think, many, many reasons to struggle with joy. What we have here in Habakkuk and throughout the Bible is not, is not the exhortation in the sense that we just have to paste a smile on our face and just be known as those people who are always happy, always joyful, always got a positive comment and a verse ready to share. We aren't supposed to be disingenuous. The best way that we can glorify God and experience his joy is to be honest about our struggles. To be candid with the people around us when we are struggling with sorrow, struggling with low times but to be mindful of the truths and reasons that we have for joy and to lean on God's strength that his presence will comfort us, that his spirit will uplift us and that we would be able to tell the story of our sorrow with joy in the mix and that the people around us would be able to see that, that when difficult times happen, we do not slip off the end into despair, but that we always have a reason for joy even in our tears. That's my prayer for us as a church. And my hope for you this week is that we would be a people who experience the joy of the Lord in all circumstances, good and bad. And that in everything, we're able to glorify God because of what he's done to save us. Let me pray to that end for us. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, the joy of your salvation is overwhelming in so many ways. And yet, Lord Jesus, there are so many times when we struggle to really experience it.
Lord Habakkuk was a man who, who was angry at God for so long, for so many ways, because he felt like God wasn't taking care of him. And yet, by your grace, you brought him to the point of seeing, God, that you have a plan for every situation. And in fact, even in the trials, you're working out your plan for our good. By the end of his book, he came to the point of, of being absolutely sure that he would experience joy even if, even if the worst should happen. Lord, I pray for that same assurance for us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would visit us in our affliction, that you would remind us of the truths of the cross and that in the depths of our despair, we would be lifted up by your grace. We're so thankful, Jesus, that we know that you've experienced all of these trials as you came to earth to live the life that we couldn't live and then die on our behalf. Jesus, we know that you are at the right hand of God praying for us, interceding for us. I thank you for that. I thank you for sending your spirit to minister to us. I pray that this would be a week when we experience joy in greater measure because of your presence and because of the truths of the cross. And Lord, may we be a people who are known in this community as those who have joy, not, not as some superficial thing where we ignore the dark clouds of life, but but where we're able to rejoice in our sadness and continually point people to you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.